0: Welcome to today's podcast. This is a, another solo episode, and it is a really interesting topic. I, f- I found this topic really incredible to research and talk about. It's something that I have a massive interest in that goes beyond just the surface level of interest that one might take in these kinds of, of topics. And it is talking about. What you say to the children and how that can impact and set a course of action in a child's life for the rest of their life, so we as educators need to be extremely aware of what and how we say things to children because we could take we could say something that is just off the cuff and it has a negative impact on a child, and we have absolutely no idea there's a lot of examples that I share including a very personal one of my own in this podcast, which I didn't expect or think that I was going to, but sometimes my words come out before I can think, which is very appropriate for this particular podcast recording as well. So anyway, without further ado, I'm going to get into being aware of what you say to the children. I hope you enjoy and I'd love to have your feedback if you feel like sharing. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Big Hearted Podcast. My name is Victoria Edmund and I am your host. Our aim here at the Big Hearted Podcast is to nurture a community of heart centred educators to change the perception and delivery of early childhood education and care in Australia and ultimately around the world. We want you to be inspired by our guests and the topics we bring to you to think of new ways of being as an educator. We want you to feel a sense of belonging via this podcast so that you can engage any time of the day or night in any place that suits you. We want you to become an educator that delivers education from the heart, as we believe this is how we create great change within our world. So join us as we discover new ways to inspire each other here on the Big Hearted Podcast. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. This is another solo episode with me, your host, Victoria Edmund from Big Hearted Education. So uh, not sure why I just did that introduction, but anyway, maybe there's some new people here. Uh, today I want to talk about the importance of mindfulness when we speak with children it is a super emotive topic and one that I wonder how many people think about uh, at times because we just get busy in our day. We just do the do. We're working with the children. We're putting out maybe little spot fires here, there and everywhere. And, you know, we're just doing the thing. We, we go about the day sometimes without a tremendous amount of mindfulness in what we're actually doing this episode comes from a conversation that i had with my pt and i went in one day and we were just talking about you know how how everything was going and he said the day prior he'd taken his little girl to dreamworld for the afternoon and she's finally at a height where she could jump on the rides and they had a great time and it was a fabulous experience and when he dropped her off at kindy the next day um he went into the classroom and talked with the educator and the educator said oh you went home early yesterday did you do anything fun And dad said, actually, we did. We went to Dreamworld and she went on all the rides and the educator was like, oh, the rides, they're so scary, aren't they? You get really, really nervous going on the rides. I get bubbles in my belly when I go on the rides and I get scared and then I just decide not to go on the rides. Words to that effect. And the PT was watching his child's reaction to this because she actually had a great time. She was super excited to be there. She was very much enjoying what she was doing and, um, yeah, it it was just a great experience for her. And this educator had actually put in these seeds to this little child that had not been there previously Completely unconsciously, that educator had projected her fears onto this little child who, prior to that moment, didn't even consider that going on rides at Dreamworld could be scary, had never even thought that. Like that thought had not entered into her brain at all. And it got me thinking about all the things that. I mean, I do it too. I'm not standing here saying that I am so mindful in every single conversation I have. I'm not saying that at all, but I'm wanting to bring your awareness to the fact that the words we say can have lasting impacts on the soul and the psyche of everybody that we meet, but particularly in early childhood. You could say something that, is so flippant and so impactful that it creates a belief for somebody that could be with them for the rest of their life or has the potential to shape who that person becomes. I know I've had experiences where someone has said something that's been off the cuff, completely off the cuff, but as a child, I didn't understand that it was just an off-the-cuff uh, st- statement or sentiment because I don't, I didn't have that life skill of being able to filter things in in early childhood. Uh, and, and it's really important that we as educators are aware of that and the things that we say. So I want to talk about how, and we've all seen it, and maybe we've experienced it ourselves. I had a teacher when I was in primary school. This is a very vulnerable share. I didn't realise I was going to go there, but we're going there. Uh, I had, uh, I've had. i always been a bigger person. Like when I look back at the photos, I always thought I was massive, but when I look back at my primary school photos, I actually was really well-formed, extremely muscular. And like when I look at the other girls and even the boys in the class, they were gangly, tall, skinny, gangly, bony knees, bony elbows, you know, just there wasn't that formed muscle. Whereas when I look at myself, I had fully formed calf muscles and thigh muscles and I broad shoulders, which I still have broad shoulders, but I was very much, I don't know, built like an ox, so to speak, fit, healthy, strong, like radiant health uh, projected out of my face in this particular photo that I'm remembering. Uh, So, and I hope that's not my printer about to start printing something that I asked it to print an hour ago. (laughs) I think it's just resetting itself. Um, So for me, I I always felt different anyway to everybody. And that was particularly um, cemented into my psyche When I was in grade, I think I might have been six or seven and I had this teacher and I remember his name. I won't say it here, but I remember his name. And uh, I had an experience where we were doing sport and we were doing long jump and he yelled out uh, from the end of the sand pit, run, Thunder Thighs, run. And I remember that and I remember everybody laughing and I remember now that was nasty. That wasn't off the cuff and completely unintentional. There was definitely like who says that to a person? We are going back to the 80s or early 90s, early 90s, um, definitely early 90s, mid to early 90s. So, you know, the time was different then and what was acceptable is definitely then is definitely not acceptable now. It was never acceptable then, but it was not. As prevalent in us to have that awareness of the words that we speak have lasting impacts. But what I'm getting at in a really long winded way was that that impacted me. It had a massive lifelong implication to the point where only a few years ago I was downtown and I saw that teacher and. I immediately wanted to run away and not be seen because when I was seen by him previously, it didn't have really good uh, ramifications. And imagine how my learning from this person went for the rest of the two years that I had him because I was in a really small school, so I was stuck with this guy. I will say that I did turn around and tell him to bleep, 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 and then I got in trouble for that, and then my dad had to come up for a meeting at the office. So don't worry, I I did have sense enough to tell him to go jump, basically. <laughs> I was a little bit older. But imagine if that happened to someone who was two or three or four or five and they didn't have that internal fortitude that I have had did have still have it's even stronger now Um, imagine imagine and there are people who would just take that in and and it it, it affected me it has sat with me for my entire life Uh, it's not the first and probably won't be the last time someone says something like that to me now I just don't care I'm just going okay come and say that to me because I guarantee you I could probably pick you up and like throw you Probably not a good idea mate. <laughs> don't don't even go there with me, right? But as a kid, that then formed a belief and it it, it I saw the world through that veil of somebody else's judgment on me. And this I really want to get you to understand that this is really important that we are mindful when we speak to children how we speak to them and what we speak to them about so when I go into the classroom it's like this whole other alter ego comes over me I speak differently I walk differently I address things differently to how I do when I'm at home that's because I'm striving to be somebody who is worthy of the children imitating the things that I do because that's what children do. They imitate what is modelled to them because they are learning and they are sponges and this is why I advocate for educators getting their stinky adult noses out of the children's business and allowing more space for children to practise the skills that they're learning. They need to experience all these different ways of being in order to find the ways that suit them most and work most with their particular personality. There is no two personalities, sorry, I should say there are no two personalities that are the same. There are a whole heap of things that go into making your personality up and that includes mimicking and role modelling those adults around us. So as educators, we have to be very, very mindful about what and how we say things to children, not just children, everybody, but particularly children. So I want to talk about speaking and and off the cuff sharing of your fears around children. What can happen is that You can share your anxiety like the educator at the beginning of the story did around rides. So projecting your fears onto children can cause them to have anxiety and worry about things that they may not fully understand or are not applicable to them. Let's just sit in that for a second. If you're an anxious person and we see it now and there's a variety of reasons why educators might be anxious, and we'll talk about risk-taking in a little while, but particularly around risky activities. A, I don't want to get the pants suit off me. Uh, B, I, as an approved provider, have to take responsibility for what every educator does within my service because at the end of the day, it's my responsibility to ensure that my educators are aware of their responsibility and I provide adequate and, and enough training for them to be able to, Perform their duties to the best of their ability, but you don't know what you don't know, so it's my job to share that. So when you and 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 a lot of other people will feel that weight of responsibility as well. And rather than letting children climb a tree, we'll say no because the fear that we have or the anxiety that we have around being sued should something go wrong is very real, and it's very valid, so it takes a lot of our um what's the word it takes a lot of thought and presence of mind to overcome those fears because when we overcome those fears, there are benefits for the children that outweigh the potential the potential of they might fall and hurt themselves. I've seen children trip over nothing literally <laughs> can fall and hurt themselves anyway like obviously we're going to have risk uh, uh, mitigation in place you know it might be that at all times when you're climbing a tree you have to have three anchor points that could be two hands and one foot or two feet and one hand like however that's going to work for you that that can go a long way to preventing children from hurting themselves Uh, so We just have to be aware that projecting our fears onto the children can cause them to develop anxiety and worry about things that they don't fully understand. And we get that a lot now. There's so many people, particularly coming out of the pandemic, who are fearful of public spaces and a lot of people and fearful to let their children touch things because they might be germy. You know and And they're antibacterial wiping everything, and they're sanitizing their children's hands everywhere they go, and God forbid the children might eat dirt. What could happen, oh dear, <laughs> and people are scared of getting dirty, and it's It's a very real thing if an educator is one of those people who likes to have their house clean and spotless and tidy. I tried to be that person my entire life. It wasn't until I no longer had children that my house stayed tidy. Um, And then I had to realise that sometimes that was me that was the untidy one, just owning that there. Uh, So it's really important that you have to understand that if you're one of those educators that has an aversion to dirt, you have a lot of work to do to get past that to find a place where you can allow the children to experience that. There's so much positive benefits in allowing children free creative play in the dirt. You have to put things in place to come past that because your fear of dirt or your dislike of dirt could be transferred over to the children. And there's nothing better than children coming in ruddy faced because they've been out in the in the cold maybe maybe it's even been raining but they are bubbling with joy inside because they're covered in dirt Did you know I found this and this and this and I did this and I saw that and I made this and then this great big bug came along and I trapped the bug and I put it in a container and then I sat there and I watched this bug for 20 minutes and oh my goodness and then there was this ant fight and oh blah 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 like that is just brimming with life and if we're an educator that's like oh don't get dirty don't 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 touch that it's dirty you're taking all of that away from the children what a loss, what a loss to childhood that is. And more and more and more I'm seeing that in children that are walking in insta-worthy. Like you can't, well, you can't, please don't paint today because this is a, a $200 gap top. Uh, rip that off and put the 50 cent op shop find on so that these children can experience what early childhood is meant to be all about, which is, climbing trees, swinging on things, hanging upside down, (laughs) creating mud pies, watching them dry, wetting them, making them all over again, potions, all of these things are so vitally important for children to experience. But if we have this fear within us or this anxiety within us about dirt and getting dirty and playing in the dirt and playing in the mud and risky behaviour taking, then we we're doing a disservice to the children and and that's not what you're here for and this is not what early childhood education should be about so keeping your fears and your anxieties at bay and you have to be very mindful about that it's going to encourage independence for the children so when you don't project your fears onto children it allows them to develop their own independence and decision making skills without being unduly influenced by your fears so in the case of my PT's daughter who went to Dreamworld, had great time on the on the rides then came to kindy was told by an educator who is a person that she values and respects that she should be scared of the rides do you think that she's going to go to the rides next time and perhaps have a bit of a second thought about going on the rides do you think maybe the next time she feels those feelings that you feel when you're on the ride which some people will turn into excitement and enjoyment other people will associate that with fear and anxiety If you felt those feelings and then someone told you that should be fear and anxiety, don't you think that that's something you'll take on for the rest of your life then that whenever you feel those feelings come up within you that, oh, I associate that with fear and anxiety, oh, that should be avoided. So this is what I want you to be really, really aware of and mindful about is that you have the power in your words and your actions to have lasting impact on children now some children that stuff will go straight over their head because it's just not their journey to feel that but if you are at a pivotal point in life and you express fear you might see a spider in the classroom and you might not like spiders the worst thing you can do is scream and carry on because then the children will learn that when they see spiders They have to scream and carry on and it's majorly unsafe and all the rest of it. You could imagine that if you came across a snake in your environment, which is something that I have done many a time in my environment because I live in the bush, if you come across a snake and the children are with you and you panic stations, then it's not good because you're teaching the children to respond like that and that's the worst way you can respond to a snake. The best thing to do is to stand still, remain calm, wait for it to move by you if it looks like it's coming towards you, move out of the way quickly and get to safety but pretty much just watch they will go the opposite direction to you because they have no interest and they're more scared of you. But if you stand there screaming what you might do and jumping up and down and all the rest of it, what you have the potential to do is make that snake feel even more unsafe and they will react out of instinct uh, for safety and they may strike at you. That's not what you want to happen. So you have to maintain as much as you possibly can this level of decorum. And you might say to children, I'm feeling a little bit uh, scared now. I'm not really friendly with spiders, but we can watch him and see what he does. Uh, Or you remove the children to a safe space and you get somebody else who might not be so scared of spiders to manage that situation. So you just have to be mindful and aware that what you do and how you respond to things can have a lasting impact on children. Um, Not putting your fears onto children When you do put your fears onto children, you can create this overprotectiveness. When you project fears onto children, you become overly protective, which means you can limit their experience and hinder their development. So some children will be automatically curious by nature. Other children will be a bit more highly strung. Perhaps they've got a parent that is a bit more highly strung themselves. And so that child displays that behavior as well because that's what they're modeled to on a daily basis. And and from in utero, they have that highly strung parent. They can have more of a potential to be that way themselves. You're the same. Some children will spend 50 hours a week in in your presence. So you have to be really aware that if you're like, oh, be careful, oh, oh, watch out, look out, don't do that, you might hurt yourself. They might not hurt themselves too. They might have a great experience out of it. But if you're like over the top in your trying to keep them safe, you're actually doing, again, a disservice to the children because they don't learn to listen to their internal cues that come up. So when you become overprotective, you can put your fears onto the children and then they don't take risks. They don't put themselves in these positions where they learn their internal body cues. So when you're putting your fears onto children too you're meaning that they will be less confident about themselves their skills and their ability. It's very important that you're aware that when you're sharing things with children you can be truthful like well, I feel I feel personally uncomfortable around spiders but I have a friend who really loves to look at spiders and loves watching them build build webs. It's not really my favourite thing to do though, but we could ask someone else to come along and help and and be with you while this happens because what you do is you're saying to the child, look, I don't have to like something, I'm listening to my internal cues of not feeling safe in this moment and I'm going to remove myself, but there's other people that don't feel that and you might take your cues from them is like basically what you're saying when you behave that way in that situation, I'm hoping this makes sense. <laughs> I get a little bit. Uh, I have a, a major interest in how the brain works, how how human brains take on patterns of behaviour. And it comes from the chiropractic work that I that I do. And it's not a cracking chiro, it's a non-cracking chiro. And if you want to know more about that, you can message me and, and I'll share information with you because not everybody gets that, not everybody is open to that. But when I go woo-woo in the conversations that I have, especially in the essential elements, there's quite a number of topics that I go right into Uh, particularly in deeply connected relationships which is one of our modules I go right into the importance of uh, having these relationships and and how our being is definitely the perfect being to be with the children because they have a lesson for us and we have a lesson for them so I go quite into that if that interests you you'll really enjoy that module Um, but Being this person, we have the power to create patterns of behaviour and belief systems, just as I said earlier on, by a flippant conversation and a flippant sentence that you might say to children. So it's very important that we're very aware of the power of our words and how they can impact and influence the children that we care for. So we want the children inherently to be confident in their own capabilities, skills, and abilities. If we're tied up in fear and anxiety ourselves, we put that onto our onto the children. And they aren't our children to imprint those kinds of things on. So we have to kind of remain like Switzerland. And if you have these fears and things within yourself, That's a gift that you have awareness around now that you can then start working on because it's not fun going through life being anxious about things, being scared about things, not being confident. Like being not confident is a good thing sometimes too. Like sometimes I'm overly confident, think I can do way more than what I can or think absolutely everybody in the world loves me. It's not, it's okay to not be liked and it's okay to not be able to do everything 100%. But what we want to do is we want people, we want the children to have the confidence to at least give these things a go, to walk into a room and feel okay within themselves so that they don't hide away and 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 be, you know, not wanting to be there and things like that. And I see a lot of people struggling with social uh, cognitive um uh, feeling confident within themselves basically they'd rather not show up on a camera or not show up in a room of strangers and it takes all people to run the world don't get me wrong i'm not saying it's wrong but what i'm saying is that we want where did that behavior get learned is it a behavior is it something happened to them in their early childhood maybe they came late into kindy one day And everybody was laughing at something. They weren't laughing at that person coming in late, but that person coming in late took it that way. And then they've just like, oh, you know, when I'm late, everyone laughs at me. And so then there's this whole lifetime of I can't be late or if I am late, oh, I'm just not going to go. Can you see how these things can really impact a child? And there's things that are going to happen that you're going to have absolutely no awareness of, and that's okay too, but I really, what I want to really get you to understand is that when we are mindful about how we behave and the space that we hold for children, it has positive benefit impacts for the children for life. Um, So we did touch on uh, risk-taking before. So really evaluating your fear and anxiety around children taking risks. One way to get around that is to do risk management and risk benefit analysis. And really this is what I like to do when I'm looking at excursions and things that educators are wanting to do within my service is to do this risk benefit analysis. So it's kind of like the pros and the cons. So what could go wrong? But what could go really right? Like what's the likelihood of these things going wrong? but what's the likelihood of the positive impacts that this risk benefit process is actually going to have for the children? So yeah, let's go climbing trees. What could go wrong? They could fall out. They could break a bone. They could hurt themselves. But what do they learn from climbing a tree? What do they learn from climbing a tree? Spatial awareness, they use their vestibular system, they stimulate the whole vestibular system, they cross the midline, they're strengthening their core stability, they're using whole body movement, it's gross motor skills, but there's also all the internal stuff that goes on too. Like, can I reach that? And they're doing these mathematical equations in their head without even knowing that that's what they're doing, but they're creating all these new neural pathways that are so important that we that we fire and stimulate these feelings we get this internal uh, feeling system that is so much better if children engage that internal listening to that internal voice and that internal dialogue you know that one where you're up a tree and you look down and you're like i'm a whole lot higher than i thought i would be oh my gosh what do i do now Oh my gosh, I'm feeling the fear. I'm feeling, ooh, I'm feeling a little bit unsafe. What do I do? How do I get back down? And then they have to consciously work out and calculate the best way to get down because that's all part of feeling those fears and going, oh, I'm not going to go any higher. I'm not going to go any further in this process. I'm going to come down. And that will then give them confidence. But what they have to do is they have to learn to listen to those feelings. If we don't allow children to feel those feelings in early childhood, they will seek it out in the most unhealthy ways when they're older. When there's nobody helicoptering over the top of them, watching them, they will seek these out later down the track. And let me tell you, the stakes are so much higher because quite often they seek this out behind the wheel of a car. And those stakes, the chances of being hurt more uh, dangerously—no, that's not the not the right word—with uh, with further greater impact. <laughs> Uh, you know, the chances of dying and, and breaking bones and having permanent injuries is far greater in a vehicle than what it is climbing a tree in early childhood. So we just have to really get that we can't wrap children in cotton wool. It's it's not something that we should strive to. We have had that risk-averse nature like strewn over us so much in the last 10-15 years and since the pandemic it's even worse that we I'm very concerned for moving forward for children that they're not really experiencing this ability to listen to what's happening within them. And we have to give children the opportunity to do that in the early childhood and in an environment where there's not an adult going, ah, be careful, ah, don't, don't do that, don't stand on there. Ah. You have to manage that within yourself so that you can be a confident guide for the children and talk about these things. You, know, you could say to the children, look, you're really high up that tree, how are you feeling? You're really high up in that tree. Do you know how, are you confident to to find your way back down? Don't go, you're really high up in that tree and I'm scared that you're going to fall because what's going to happen? They're going to go, oh, and fall. Literally. (laughs) Don't do that. Don't do that. If you're feeling uncomfortable about that, get them down and then set a boundary. Look, I don't want you to go past that branch up there. Make sure they know and then they can do whatever they want and you button it if they're below that branch. You button it. Don't say anything. Don't project your fear onto it. Do these things in small steps for yourself so that you get more confidence too. So when we... I'm not projecting our fears on and we're having a positive conversation and we're speaking positively in front of the children. What we're doing is we're helping them to increase their emotional resilience. Now, this is such a massively important part of early childhood education. Children need to learn how to manage their emotions and deal with challenges. By not projecting your fears onto them, you allow them to develop their own emotional resilience and learn to cope with difficult situations. We have to let them get into these positions multiple times. You can't just do something once and then it then it sticks. If it's a learning process, and I know I just contradicted myself because you can say one thing to one person and they take it a, a particular way, and then then they'll run with that for the rest of their life and create this pattern of behavior right but if you're aware of what you're saying and you're aware of the space that you're holding for the children if you know you've had a moment where you've gone ah spider get away blah, 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 next time you see a spider you have an opportunity to undo that and create a different response for that child okay so i just want to make that really really clear So we have to allow the children to get into these situations multiple times so they can practice their responses and practice building their confidence up on their own without us helicoptering over them, telling them how they should think, feel, respond, react, okay? So it's really important for their emotional resilience building. And it's really important for you as an educator to be aware that that's what's actually happening and to foster a space where children can be positively impacted in situations where they may have felt a little bit of fear or anxiety, that you can guide them through that in a way that says it's okay to feel that sometimes. That's a cue that your body is telling you you need to pay attention to. You don't have to panic when you're in that moment. What you can do is take a breath, think about what's happening and then make a plan of action and stick to it and then reassess if that's not working. Now, that's a lot to take in for a three-year-old or a four-year-old or a five-year-old. You do that in a developmentally appropriate way and each child is going to be different. Some children, they might have older brothers who throw them around and they play soccer and they wrestle and they do all these things that child is going to be completely different when it comes to risk-taking activities to a child who might be an only child who has parents that don't really spend a lot of time doing physical activity where they they get to experience that robust child um, or play sort of thing Um, they're, they're going to look at things differently that that last child that's an only child who spends a lot of time inside is not going to have the same level of confidence nor awareness of how their body works and the space they take up in the world when it comes to risk-taking activities so you watch you watch that that child will have a different use of their body they will be different within their body they may be clumsy they may have not much strength in their arms and hands and legs and they may tend to give up a lot easier, whereas the child that's got four older brothers (laughs) is probably (laughs) so rough and tumble uh, that, that you worry about that kid hurting themselves more than the other one. But that's the child that's going to get up and be like, I'm good. I remember my son, it was so funny. We were on a boat one time and they had these uh, rails up the front of the boat. It was a sailing boat and it had these rails up the front which had wire around them to prevent you from falling off. So he went to jump off the front of the boat. Because it was, a boat, it was slippery, and he, he and just fell over and the people he was with, all they heard was splat as he hit the hard sand and they were both looking at each other going, oh, God, this isn't our kid. Oh, my gosh, we're going to have to take someone back with a broken arm. And they're like in all of this and they didn't say anything and then all of a sudden they just heard, I'm good. <laughs> and he off he goes and he's like, he was all good. Whereas there would be other children that would do that, experience it, and that would be you'd have to go home because they would be so distraught. So they didn't project anything onto him in that moment. They just waited for the reaction and it was all good and they went on with their day and they came back and they told us they were like, oh, God, we thought we broke a kid, like it was scary and that he was, I'm good. (laughs) So there's different personalities, there's different body types to that kid robust child who was very connected to my body we went bushwalking every second weekend as kids I had to, you know lug all my gear in which when I look back at it I remember whinging to my dad my bags heavy dad would end up carrying all the things the tent the food our bags because I have an older brother um, you yeah, know and he'd be this pack horse and I'd still be whinging <laughs> but we would do 20k walks when I was you know seven it was we weren't and we were roughing it too we were humping into that bush so anyway um, there's different sorts of this is the ballerinas too you know they're very strong but that sense of Fineness about them. And if they ran into something or someone ran into them, they can't, they don't have that body type that can absorb that kind of force. Whereas my body type, it's like running into a brick wall when you run into me. Like, and it's like people will bounce off me and wind themselves, and I'll be like, you're right, you're good. Like, that had no impact on me whatsoever. So there's that to take into consideration too, but we really want to, there's two different things in that that comes up just from thinking is the things that you have to impart to the child that's like me, that's the robust child and things like that. You sometimes have to put boundaries around that play a little bit because they don't know the strength they have and they can hurt their friends. And the other side of that coin is the friend that is not as robust in their uh, body. And their ability to use their body in the space they take up, we have to nurture that and get them to take a little more risk and and really help them to connect to their body and really find a safe place within their body to push themselves to try different things and do different things. Does that does that make sense I really hope it does it's very hard doing a, a solo podcast where there's no facial expressions from anybody else that I can see <laughs> I'm just having to trust that you understand but feel free to ask me questions if you don't get something or you want to challenge me on something do it I love I love getting feedback like that Okay, so we want to encourage open communication too. So children need to be able to communicate openly with their parents or caregivers by not projecting your fears onto them, you create a safe and open space for honest communication. And this honestly is something that you have to work in if you're that educator who is fearful and anxious around things that you do with the children you have to address that in you first so you need to start having open communication Uh, and i would suggest that you jump onto the big hearted community and start conversations in there around fear and anxiety and things that you know you you might be scared about because what will happen is other educators would be like well we do that Linda Tandy, um, she operates in Bega and I'm giving you a shout out, Linda, because I really love the work that you do uh, when you take the children to the river and you do all that exploring. It You just hold that space so beautifully and calmly. Um, I know Colleen, Graham and Ureth, I can't remember your last name, Ureth, I'm really sorry, they're on the Gold Coast too. And they're doing wonderful bush kindies. Claire from Children of the Wilderness, too, has an incredible bush kindy program. Uh, I actually have her coming on the podcast in the next couple of weeks. Uh, And I'm sure there's many other educators that are doing fabulous um, experiences with the children where children actually get to really trust their vestibular, trust their, their body and the process and how it works because these educators are providing a space for children where they get to take these kinds of risks. But when they're doing that, they're doing it in a really professional way that opens up the communication. And it's in such a um, reciprocal manner, it's a calm conversation that these educators are having. Oh, look at the rocks. You want to go climbing on the rocks? Okay. Well, how far can you go? And are you going to be jumping across the rocks? Are these the sorts of rocks you can jump from one to another? If you're on a creek bed, that might be applicable because you're going to fall into the water. All good, no drama, and it's not very deep water either (laughs) so no one can drown um but and you'll be there of course there's massive active supervision happening in that but if you're say at the beach and children are climbing up rocks you know you get those big boulders that um are often covered in sand and then after after a lot of heavy surf they get uncovered and they're big boulders that go maybe jumping across those rocks is not going to be such a great idea because you could you really roll an ankle or fall down in between some rocks and get stuck and things like that so we want to have these open communication or open conversations that are not fear-based they're more about risk benefits and then putting some boundaries in place so that you can avoid easily avoidable accidents so Any of those ladies, and I will put some links to their social media if they have public social media. I'll put them into the show notes so that you can go and follow them and have a look at what they're doing because um, they're really, really renegades in this space uh, and inspired uh, family daycare too a lot of their educators go to them because they support this kind of play and uh, and it's really great to see services are pioneering in this space um, and I, I think it's wonderful my educators are allowed to do that too I probably was a little bit risk averse around water uh, but now that I've come a few years past things and I've done professional development myself those are sorts of things that we definitely look at we've got educators that have fire in their space and utilize fire because I mean I had fire I had a fireplace and all the children that came to my family daycare all had fireplaces in their places too so for me that's really valuable life skills that they have to learn because they have to know how to and why to not touch a fireplace and things like that. So for people saying, oh, you can't use your fire in your space, to me is counterproductive, particularly if all the children in your care have fires in their own homes too. It's just a learning experience that we can have. I also had snakes in my environment frequently, especially when we had the chilks. I had a snake in the back of my couch one time and I've got a video of Auntie Judy getting the snake out of the way for us. So, And I'll preface that by saying I always said to the children, do not go near a snake. If a snake ever bites you, you're on your own. I'm not touching the snake to get it off you so you'll just have to deal with that so it's in your best interest to stay away from the snakes <laughs> in saying that we did have a snake in the pool yard when I was fishing out a mouse um, and I we threw the the mouse to the snake he was he drowned uh, we threw the mouth mouse to the snake and we watched the snake eat the mouse it was incredible so Yeah, I went on a bit of a tangent there, but um, I think having that open communication between you, the children, you, the families, you, your service, and doing it in a professional way is very, very important and something to be very mindful about. Um, So not putting your fears and anxiety onto children too promotes healthy boundaries. And that ties in beautifully with that last touch point is that when you have this open communication you can set boundaries with children so that you're not going to put yourself in a position where you get sued because you've done something silly or you've allowed the children to do something that has that was preventable and they could be hurt doing you've got to have these boundaries in place you can't just go and like we operate in a boundary system in society anyway You can't go driving at 160 clicks down the highway just because you've got a good car and you feel confident in doing that. That's not a safe practice. And we've all got a boundary of 110 clicks on the highway, 100 in some places. We don't question that. And this is what we've got to teach the children too is that sometimes there's things that you just can't go and do because you feel like you want to do that. There's appropriate time and appropriate place to do that. So having healthy boundaries, children need to learn those and what better person to teach them than someone who's aware of the fear and anxiety that they may be putting onto children and can put healthy boundaries in place to keep everybody safer. it also teaches children that uh, boundaries are to be respected for other people too. So they might be able to climb right up to the top of their mango tree at home, yet at kindy there's a tree here and you're only allowed to climb up to this branch because the educator has deemed that it's just not worth the paperwork and the red tape. We're allowing this to happen to a certain degree, we're not allowing them to get right up to the top of the tree though. So and that's dependent on the service and the educator and the communication with the families. But this is why it's really important that when we have clear and open communication, honest communication with the children, we can set boundaries that are easily respected. And these are lessons that learn, that go through life and can set children up for success that segues beautifully into my next point is that it allows personal growth for children. So children need to be able to grow and develop in their own unique ways. By not projecting your fears onto them, you allow them to grow and develop in their own as an, as their own unique individual. So like we talked about before, we've got the ballerina style physique and that's not just for girls, there is boys that are not as connected to their body, and then we've got the big bruises <laughs> or the robust children uh, that are very confident and connected into their body. They, they struggle in different areas, uh, and that's just the different types of humans that we are. Um, that's fabulous. There's nothing wrong with either of those examples, and, of course, there's a myriad of other examples that fit in between in that spectrum, but I'm just using it to paint a picture in a podcast because it's easier. (laughs) I can't show you slides. So this allows children to have their own, to grow as their own unique individual. Um, So we don't want to be shaping the children with fears and anxieties of ours from experiences that they've never had. We want them to learn these and it's okay for children to have fear around things. Sometimes it's just in them they see something they don't know what it is they don't know what it means they don't know how it works so they're distrustful of it until they can form their own opinion relationship and uh, confidence around that particular experience so it's just being mindful of those sorts of things uh, because we we want the children to develop into who they need to be for their experience in life so going back and just wrapping things up We want to avoid the anxiety, putting anxiety onto children. When we do that, it avoids them picking up on our anxiety. We want to encourage independence. We want to prevent overprotectiveness. We want to foster confidence in children. We want to promote healthy risk-taking. We want to increase emotional resilience We wanna build trust so that children trust their own selves, their own internal dialogue, but they also trust us and their parents. We want to encourage open communication, promote healthy boundaries and allow for personal growth. So all of that can be done in a positive reinforced way when we manage our own internal feelings and communication around fear and anxiety. So I hope that gives you some food for thought and and, uh, gives you confidence to be aware of what you do, what you say, how you respond to situations. Just take a breath. Just really take a breath before you you squish that spider because what makes his life less important than ours? So on that note, go forth, have a beautiful day And I look forward to hearing your feedback on this uh, subject. It's a very interesting topic for me and I could talk about this sort of stuff for years and years and years, but we will come to an end for now. So go forth and have a beautiful day. Big love from me. Bye for now. Hi, friends. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you got a lot out of today's episode. When we work on our own, we can sometimes be in a silo, so having new perspectives and different ways of looking at things is vitally important for the growth of our individual selves and our professional selves as well. We love feedback, so if you felt compelled to share what you thought of today's podcast, we would love to read your thoughts. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, That helps our podcast to get out to the wider community. And the more that hear what we have to share, we think the better it is. Thanks so much, friend. We'll see you next time. Till then, big love.